This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to Advanced Base Camp. But what we're doing is our intention is that you go to a completely another level of life, of leadership, of intentionality. And we're really just your guides. That's all we are. We're just Sherpas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and I'm here with the always amazing Steve Cockrum from sunny London today. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing incredibly well, Jeremy. Yes, the sun is out. It's one of the five days in the year when the sun is out in England, so we're, uh, we're all rejoicing. People will be sunburnt today in certain parts of England because obviously we don't use anything like sun protection, but it's been a lot of drama in our world over the last few days, Jeremy. Lots and lots of drama. Uh, a little bit. Is it something called Brexit uh, caused a little bit of drama? Let's walk us through there from a, I won't act or pretend to know exactly all of the details, even though I've read a lot about it. So give it to us, Steve. What happened? Well, gosh, I'll try not to betray my own political leanings in this, but the summary would be is we've been part of the European Union for about 43 years, and people, I think, were increasingly frustrated with the fact that basically we were creating a, uh, a European sort of super state, very much modelled, I suspect, on the American model where you have federal and state. And really the question was, after all of the misgivings, the kind of the you know, challenges over immigration and how economies worked, we were finally given by the, the Prime Minister at the time, he would give a referendum where you would have a vote where you were either either for remain in the European Union or whether we would choose to leave the European Union. And I don't honestly think anybody in the political establishment truly believed that the uh, Leave campaign would win. I think even some of the Leave uh, leaders were shocked at the power of democracy when uh, 34 million people voted, uh, which is one of the largest turnouts ever. I think 72% of our population voted. And uh, but they voted by uh, there's a one and a half million majority for leave. That was despite the fact everyone from the governor of the Bank of England to the politicians, to the International Monetary Fund, to everyone who you the Church of England, everyone you would consider an authority, basically said you had to remain. Um, and in the end, for reasons which you know only only England will ever do such a thing, people decided that they were going to get one vote at this thing. Um, and they'd never get another chance. And in some ways, it was a groundswell largely from the people, I think, on the more of the margins of society. London was very strongly remained, so was Scotland, but just about everywhere else in England um, voted quite significantly to leave. And uh, we're dealing with the economic turmoil. So there you go. That's my political commentary for the day. Good job. Yeah, that was good. I think that was generic enough. You didn't Thank you. share which way you were leaning. Um, but my thought, though, is that can you imagine what the pubs were like that night? <laughs> like, well, seriously. Well, there could have been some really good conversations. There were. I think, I think the reality is people have talked about something in a way they've never talked before because every vote counted in our democratic system of you represent, you know, you elect an MP. If you live in certain constituencies which are historically either Labour or Conservative, you may vote, but you know your vote isn't really going to change a great deal. A bit like your marginals that you would have in America. Whereas this time around, it didn't matter where you lived, your vote counted equally with everyone else. So it wasn't so regional and therefore in some ways felt much more, I guess, difficult to predict. 
and the pollsters um i don't know what your pollsters are like but the you know i think remain was seven to one on with the bookmakers at the end of the voting so uh you know that just shows <laughs> where the clever money was at that stage and as the evening went on let's just say it got more and more interesting as you watched people coming to the growing conclusion that um that 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 leave had won and the the prime minister resigned the following morning so you know now we've got the the leader of the labor party who's half of his shadow cabinet have resigned and left so this is uncharted territory in um in great britain apart from the fact it's going to be a lot cheaper for you americans to come over and have a holiday in britain now so every cloud has a silver lining but the pound is now down at about uh something like 133 <laughs> today so it'll be a lot cheaper for you to come over and spend your hard-earned dollars in um in london so from now on. for for all of those uh <laughs> listening all the, the the listeners listening to this right now you can go to stevecockham.com and find out uh how to have a great trip to the uk right are you putting together <laughs> Groups yes, now, yes, tour guides, but, tour buses. <laughs> well, let, let's just say our big vision to put together the Liberator Network golf tour in Scotland where we were going to play, I think just about it became about 15% cheaper for Americans overnight. So that's probably back on the docket for next year. Absolutely. A Ryder Cup, if you will. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that later. All right. So, Steve, today the topic of conversation, the topic for those listeners who really want to be inspired and encouraged and helped is for us to talk about our tool, the power test. Mm -hmm. uh, now, these are one of our tools. We have, we have about 35 tools or so that we use with, with leaders around the world, inside companies. We figured out that most adults just don't read anymore. They're so visual. They, they, they need something that's simple and scalable. So we've created these tools that really do help uh, people learn and they're sticky. And one of them is simply called the power test. So Steve, why don't you walk us through the power test and then in general, and then we'll, we'll get into the specific questions. Sure. So if you imagine, you know, two people, whenever they engage, maybe one is a boss and one is you, what you find is that the, the person who's looking at their boss or the person in leadership over them, and they're asking really three questions. They're asking, what is your intent in the way that you lead? So are you for me, are you against me, or are you for yourself? So most leaders are not overtly against the people they lead, but the real question that people are asking in the use of leadership, which is really the exercise of power, is are you for me first, i.e. are you prepared to give yourself away so that I can be the best I can be, or ultimately underneath it all, are you happy for me to do well, but primarily you're for yourself and your leadership, your advancement, your career, your reputation, ultimately comes just a little bit before the way that you would use your power for me. So that would be a, a first little definition, Jeremy. Do you want to add anything into yeah. that one? Yeah, so let me, I'm going to give you three examples of people who have been for me and against me and for themselves, right? So people who are for me, I've had a number of, so if you think of them for yourself, I've had my dad, for an example, totally for me, completely supporting me, but always challenging me but always just there, solid. Uh, so parents, obviously I've had professors, I've had other good friends and mentors. Against me is kind of interesting when you think about how many people are actually against you. Now, I would. this is kind of a side note. If you're a person who has like 20 or more people against you, it may be you, 
right? <laughs> <laughs> it may be maybe you that has the issue. Yes. But but if there's, I mean, think about it, there's not that many people who are against us. Um, but I've had one person I can think of, and this person was so against me that uh, mainly because she was either jealous or something there. I couldn't really figure it out. But it was sabotage. She basically worked together, and she created a sabotage situation to try to do whatever it took to undermine the things that I did. Um, and so it was a tough, tough situation. It took me about a year to figure out, oh, my goodness, this person, she's really against me. Um, but I haven't had that many, right? And then those who are for themselves, well, I'd say that's the majority. The majority of people in my life are for themselves, and that's not necessarily wrong per se. It's probably just reality. But the people who are for me, they stand out because I, they're, they're actively for me. And so they'll fight for me and I reciprocate because I want to fight for them too because mm-hmm. I appreciate it in them. Yeah, and I think we, you know, our listeners will be aware that we have another tool called the Support and Challenge Matrix and where in many ways what we, what we say is that someone who is for me is someone who really knows how to calibrate support and challenge and they do it in a way which is sometimes a challenge for them. I mean, you know, some of us are much better at one than the other. But what we know is that somebody who is for me won't let me just be average. They won't indulge me, they won't bully me, they won't they find a way to basically use all of their influence and power to say, I want you, Steve, I want you, Jeremy to be the very best you can be, and I'm gonna help you get there. That's the type of leaders we found that basically, if you have one of those in your life, you never forget them. Because it takes a huge amount of confidence and security on behalf of the leader to truly give themselves away on behalf of those they lead. To truly, as it were, almost prefer them at times over themselves, knowing that if I help them be the best they can be, if I become a leader of teams that everyone wants to work for, then in the end, I'm gonna always be in a job. But it does take, I mean, it surprises, doesn't it? How many times do we meet people who feel the insecurity of going, gosh, if I help people do really well, then maybe they'll get advanced over and above me, or maybe they'll take my position, or maybe they're the ones that will get the, the, the kudos and the awards. That scarcity mentality, it just leads to, it leads to really the, the death of influence. And so, it comes down to intent, right? So the intent of a person. So what is someone, what's the intent when, when I'm, and it's so hard to read because when I'm looking at someone and they're, I'm working with them and I'm, I'm analyzing, hey, are they for me? Are they against me? You can tell though in the agenda. Uh, I, the, I've been watching um, House of Cards on Netflix and uh, which is really brilliant because you've got this, this really narcissistic president and, and couple who are talking to the camera Totally uh, hypothetical, Jeremy. You know, no, no, yeah, totally no, hypothetical. no, no allusion not, to any particular political couple in America, I'm sure. <laughs> but that, but what happens uh, is you look at that intent, and, and, and they basically are telling their intent. Mm. They say, he thinks I'm going to do this, but watch, I'm actually doing this. And so it's so hard to read. And so people, especially certain personality types, have a hard time reading intent. And sometimes people overanalyze intent. But when you think of the when you, when you think of looking for intent, do you have any way, Steve? And I'm just making this up. Do you have any way that you you've found that you can tell someone's intent? Like, how do you test if someone is for you, against you, or or for themselves? 
It's a good question. I, I, I think I'd honestly say it takes time. I think most people can fake it for a short period of time, but over a period of time, you see what I would consider to be the prevailing sort of um, intent of somebody. So I, I guess I know myself to be a flawed human being, and I can vouch for you too on that one. And it, it's kind of, <laughs> what Thank I you. know is that I know my tendencies. So for example, I'm an ENTP pioneer connector. I'm wired to win, and I'm very persuasive, and I have a tendency to manipulate people to do what I want them to do, either through fear with my grenade launcher, or often through some Machiavellian, you know, little, you know, just finding the right way to connect. I think because I know that, so my tendency is to be for myself. That That's my, you know, there are some real wonderful altruistic nurturers and others out there who are genuinely for others. But I would say that so many of, you know, at least half people, I would say, by nature are for themselves. And so therefore, it is at best conscious competence. And I watch when pressure kicks in. So when I'm, you know, when I've got a target to sell 40 seats for an X-Core and I'm only at 28, I have to ask myself as I'm selling to people, is my intent really for you because it's the best thing for you or am I really trying to meet my, my number? And I think it's just being real with ourselves and also recognizing that everybody, everyone we're around is in many ways dealing with similar insecurities and what we're doing all the time is say, know yourself, own your tendencies, know where you go under pressure because that means you can make a choice. None of us get to a point, I believe, where we, without thinking about it, are just purely for others or at least that's not been my experience anyway. Well, and I'm an ENFP connector, so my tendencies are actually to be so for people, but I actually, a little different, I can use being for people. I can manipulate that because I can I can be so for people and connecting to them, but it can sound like a salesman or it can be so, so much of a schmoozer. So people have a hard time reading the, that intent because I get passionate about everything that I'm, promoting or, or about, and it's very, very consistent. So it's very hard to read uh, because the problem is I'm always promoting too many things. And, <laughs> yes. uh, and so that's, that's an issue that I know people like me have. I think, I think in the same way we often say to people, why don't you scatter plot yourself on the matrix? I think one of the ways you can actually, if, you, if you're brave about this, you take that tool and actually almost dare to go and ask the people that you lead and say, Here's this question that I was posed on this podcast with Stephen Jeremy this week, which is, what is my intent? What does it feel like to be on the other side of me? Do you feel that I'm for you primarily, for myself, or against you? And that's another one of those ones where actually giving people a chance to give you some feedback of what's it like to be on the other side of you, because most, a lot, so many times we're almost blind. We assume that people feel this, and the reality is they don't. So there's your, you know, that's quite a high bar challenge from Pioneer here, which says, if you're not sure what your intent is, go and ask, put your weapons down if you have big ones, and go and ask people, say, I'd really value your feedback. What's it like to be on the other side of me? How do I use power? How do I use my leadership? Take the power test, as it were, yeah. for the people that you lead. Yeah, and careful, because you, I mean, like, you really, really want to want to know the answer, 
I mean, don't <laughs> don't go in. <laughs> you, it could set you back a bit. Yeah, you, know, you could be really yeah. um, surprised. By well, that's the answer, why we're on so. episode nine. We we've got rid of all the basic stuff in the beginning, Jeremy. We're we're going on. So you know that's or that's and our the people challenge. who are listening to us by now are actually you know they they made yeah. it so far. All there the others go. have just dropped out. Episode it's, three, it's like, four. Like, okay. It's like Hell Week with the Navy SEALs, isn't it? Really, that that, that, that anyone not strong enough has tapped out by now with the bell. And obviously, we're still here, um, <laughs> so we we must think we're something. Um, I'm teasing. Okay, so we have a uh, at the bottom of this, we have this little formula, and it, it, the formula goes like this: It's called power times humility equals true influence. So speak to that, Steve. Tell us uh, what that means, and then we're gonna we're gonna walk through uh, uh, an exercise. So I think it came out of, like most things, Jeremy and I talking a lot um, and realizing that there were leaders that we watched that exerted huge amounts of positional power or very, very strong personalities, but that over time what we watched was that their influence wasn't actually as lasting as it probably should have been. And so really what we did was we began to ask the question, well, how do you measure power? So we kind of have a little bit of a formula which is going, your power is really made up of a mixture of your positional power and your personality. So if you happen to be the CEO of a large company with lots of people that are responsible to you, and you also have a very, very strong personality, maybe a sort of pioneer type voice, then your power score is going to be really high. But the reality is this, if it's not exercised with humility, if you're not exercising your power for others, then the reality is people will do what you tell them because they're frightened of you. But the moment you take away that positional power, your influence is very, very limited. The great leaders are the ones who are able to be secure enough to almost lead from a place of humility where it's not about them, where actually they choose to deploy all of their resources, expertise, knowledge, and know-how for the betterment of others in the organization. If you do that in your people's lives, the influence that people have is huge, and it's the true influence which lasts long after that relationship has gone. People always remember the leaders who had power but chose to exercise humility through humility, and they became massively influential in our lives. And you know, they're, they're the people that everyone wants to follow. So you're saying someone who has, uh, let's say, 100% power, let's say 90 on, the, on, on power. The one through 100, they have a 90, but they have zero at humility, right? So 90 times zero equals zero. So they have zero true influence in someone's life. So if you wanted to take the power test further, not just for me, against me, for yourself. You'd actually say, in my job, in my position, if I'm my positional power is, let's say, 75%, uh, but my humility is times you know, 50 out of 100 or 90 out of 100 or whatever, then that becomes your true influence. And some of you here may not have much power at the moment. It may be that you're, you're growing in your career, you may be starting a business, you may, you may be at middle level management. Well, you may not have as much power as you'd like, but if you exercise the power you have and steward it well through humility, you can still potentially have a longer lasting influence than somebody who appears to have a lot of power but isn't exercising humility in the way they exercise it. So I would say that this is just a great question to ask again, be realistic. 
how powerful and dominating is my voice, what type of role do I play, but ultimately, however much power we have, is it being deployed for others? What's the level of insecurity in me? How much am I trying to prove myself? How much am I trying to make it about me? How much is it actually about others and me willing often to make sacrifice on behalf of those that I lead in terms of my time, my energy, my talents? You know, we talk about apprenticeship and even today we were talking about how costly it is to choose to apprentice someone to do what you do because it's very unglamorous, it takes a long time and usually takes a lot of time and money, but the influence that comes with that is huge. So true influence really is based on humility. Humility times power, right? So if you think about a person who has, uh, maybe they're at a two, three times a hundred is so much more powerful than someone who has 100% power and no humility. Well, more influential anyway. They're more influential, sorry. So when you think of the true influence of a person, just to think uh, really humility is the key. And what does humility look like and how it plays out? It's um, being so confident and secure in who you are that you're fighting for the highest possible in other people's lives. So when you think of this in in light of uh, the position or personality, uh, tying this into politicians, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of what we've been talking about here lately, only because of Brexit, because of the U.S. Uh, you know, elections, uh, you you can really start looking at candidates. You can look at at people, and you know, to some degree, a vote is a judgment. A vote is basically saying. This is a person I want to, to represent me, uh, or between the two, I'm going to choose this person or this party or what have you. But when you, if you put power times humility uh, and true, equals true influence into that, then you can start saying, okay, how much power do they have and are they exercising it well? And how much humility do they have? And that's another way to understand a candidate. Would you agree, so, Steve? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think, if you look historically, you know, I know we love battles and war and kind of politicians. So, you know, I would quote somebody like in Britain, we had a lady called Margaret Thatcher, who was a unbelievably powerful person. I mean, she was an ENTJ. Uh, I, yeah, Iron Lady. Iron Lady. <laughs> there you go. There's, there was a clue in the title. But the reality was, you know, some will disagree with me, but I actually think she, whether you think she was right or wrong in her convictions, she truly exercised power for what she believed would be the best of others. And actually, history tends to often increase the long-term influence of the people who, who may have been unpopular at the time, but made difficult decisions for what they truly believe was for the best for others, as opposed to perhaps some of the very more charismatic politicians who appear to be very influential in the time that they're there. But actually, by the time you, you realise, actually, how much were you just in love with being in power? How much of it was that was the ambition and how much of it did you really have a desire to change lives for the better of those you led and i think that's part of what we're seeing at the moment over here is there's there's a distrust of going who are the leaders who are you know for others who are we going to give true influence to and i think part of the vote was almost saying i'm not sure we trust too much influence into people that we can't actually vote out i mean so you know i'm going to get political, but I think it's just a great question. I don't think it's just politics. I think it's leadership in every area. Who are the business leaders that people look at and say, you are for your people more than you for yourself? 
Well, I had the privilege of writing this for Fortune uh, magazine here recently, and that talked about two questions. Uh, one, uh, and this is American politics now, saying that the American voter is going to vote for the person uh, who has two things. Number one, their view of the future and the intent uh, behind their leadership. And it really talked about this. So number one came from the book, The Culture Code, which was recommended by uh, by you years ago. But this whole idea of um, helping people understand it's the Moses syndrome, that, that the, the, the president in America is the, whoever's the most Moses-like or helps you get to the promised land is the one that's the most attractive. So if you're thinking about looking at, at it from that perspective, but then I tied in the power test. I said, the second part is the person who convinces the American people that they're the most for them versus the most for themselves. And so if you, it, and it's very, very difficult when you start looking at the American <laughs> so, candidates. So you've, it does that perhaps explain why Bernie Sanders has done reasonably well or is that kind of getting too polite? I'm amazed that yeah, someone yeah. who is more left wing than even our socialist oh, yeah. party over here polled so many votes for the Democrats. But absolutely, know. he had he had a, he had a uh, perception that he was for people, which again, I'm not saying that he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but that's that goes a long way versus you can look at the other candidates that are left, the two that are left. <laughs> I won't say names. Teasing. That basically the question is, hey, are you for me? Historically, are you for me? Yeah. Historically, have you been against me, or historically, have you been for yourself? And those are really tough questions. So to, to put that into power times humility equals true influence mm. to some of the most you know maligned uh, candidates we've had in a long, long time, it gets really fun and really feisty when you, when you start thinking about it from that perspective. Yeah, humility is not necessarily the word I would associate with the, um, the Donald at the moment. He's over here opening a new golf club over in Scotland at the moment. But you're right. I mean, it's really interesting to go, what would humility look like? And why is that such an attractive attribute when in some ways we're told, you know, you're supposed to be the winner, you're supposed to compete, you're supposed to fight. So it is quite counterintuitive what we're saying here. But I think we're just saying is the people who have the greatest influence in our lives and the things and the things we watch are not necessarily the most powerful. They're the people who combine power and humility in that process. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting um, to see what happens over here. And I guess it's going to be even more exciting watching what's going to happen over in America over these next three, four months, because it's a pretty tough call, isn't it, for you guys to choose between um, Donald and Hillary, I suspect. Oh, the voter turnout is probably going to be fairly low, I would think. Um, but who knows? But it's just, you're not it is, it's a to tough situation. You're not tempted to stand, Jeremy, as the kind of, the you know, the alternative candidate in the middle. I reckon you'd have a good chance of winning. Yeah, probably. Well, maybe with you. Can I count my UK friends? Would that help? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if that would count. But um, no, the, the, the fun part about all of this is that um, we get to use these ex as examples to help people. And that's really what we do is we, we um, our goal uh, at Giant is really to liberate people. And we just, there's, there's just a different type of leader that's needed. We need liberators. We need leaders who are, are willing to, to um, give themselves away for the benefit of the other person. People who calibrate support and challenge, actually be intentional, not accidental. That's what we're after. We're after liberators. And so, um, Steve, why don't, why don't you share this as our, our takeaway uh, something we're doing with Leadership Academies and how we're bringing this inside companies 
and maybe give just a quick glimpse of what that looks like to take this whole idea. These are just concepts that we've packaged and maybe explain how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, some companies are incredibly large and they're asking the question, well, how do we, you know, if we've got 30, 40, 50, 100,000 employees, how on the earth do we begin shaping the culture of how our leadership functions and how do we develop this common language of vocabulary? So, you know, one, uh, one example is uh, for, for Lyris and Lockheed Martin at the moment, we're, we're basically putting together an academy for them as they go through a, you know, a merger acquisition, which most people know don't tend to go too well, but they're really going to put the leaders from both um, companies into a, a program we're going to run for them where we're actually going to invest in them over an extended period of time. So we'll take groups of 72 representing both companies and put them through a year of personal transformation but also where we're going to equip them to multiply what it is they're doing. So, you know, that's a pretty big, um, the goal is we're going to put 432 of their leaders over three years through this program, and we're going to equip them to multiply what they're learning into their direct teams and the teams of their direct teams. And that will get us to 24,000 people inside their organization are actually going to be impacted by these tools, this vocabulary, this language. So that's a big project for a big company. But it basically means that we're prepared to take all of, I guess, giants' know-how and technology and learning and let them own label it or white label it for their own culture. So they have their own leader academy or leadership institute in other places. Because in the end, it's, it's not necessarily about how well do people know us or how well do people know giant. It's actually our metric of success is liberation. And actually, are we able to equip people not just to receive that personal breakthrough themselves, but also share it into their world to work and home. So that's that's what the academy has given us the capacity to do. So however big the company is now, we can actually help them actually make a difference across the whole organization. Any more stories, Jeremy? Yeah, no, we're doing the same in, uh, so large, but we're also doing this into um, uh, a university called MacU. We're working with um, car dealerships in Wisconsin. We're doing this in uh, oil and gas business in Oklahoma. So it, it's really just the concept of people actually being intentional with real change. And we just feel like we've figured out how to do leader development with adults where most people, most of the time it just doesn't work. We've just seen it work. And, uh, but it means that you have to get to the point where you're asking the hard questions you're doing the things where you look in a mirror to look what it's like to be on the other side of you, and you're adjusting. It's called self-awareness. It's emotional intelligence. It's IQ. It's personality. It's all those things. So um, our job is simply that we're, we're Sherpas. We call ourselves Sherpas. We're just guides, and we make the, the client out to be a hero for a season, and then they become the Sherpa. And what happens is they keep passing the Sherpa down into the organization so that uh, people begin to help other people up um, up the mountain, up a proven path. And we've got a toolkit, um, just tools to help us climb a mountain, and we, we build a network of people to help um, that process. So with that, um, Steve, always good to chat, always good to hang. Um, we don't get to do it enough uh, from the UK, US, uh, but uh, thanks for your insights today. And uh, any last thoughts? Only just to say there's another, that at the moment, Europe is not just fighting over Brexit, but we're also playing football, which is soccer to you Americans. So tonight, England play Iceland. 
So the whole of England will come to a standstill tonight because football is our national sport. So, you know, there'll, be, there'll either be great rejoicing in the pubs later tonight or there'll be tears and all kinds of uh, things going on. So England v Iceland and, and come on England. No, and I hate to say this because I don't want anyone in, listening in Iceland to get offended, but like they have a soccer team, like they have enough people to, you know, to put they, together. They do. It's the first time they've been to a major championships and they've actually 15% of the nation of Iceland is currently in France watching the football and cheering for Iceland. So if it wasn't for England, I'd be everyone's cheering for Iceland, by the way. And obviously we're not England. <laughs> England is not universally popular in Europe right now. So I imagine we'll be everyone's bogey team until we actually get knocked out. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my friend. Okay. Good to talk. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. you all and wish you all well. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.